0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. Lock the gates! (laughs) All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new here, just go ahead, sit down, you'll get used to it. I just uh, ramble on for a bit, and then I'll talk to uh, John Cusack. Yeah, you know him, come on. From Say Anything, Being John Malkovich, Gross Point Blank. He's been in everything. He's been around forever, and he's in this new uh, Amazon show called Utopia, which I watched all of. It's a a dark comic book-oriented show revolves around um, a a relatively ragtag group of grown-up nerds. But it gets pretty violent. It's pretty intense. Deals with global conspiracy. Deals with a lot of relevant stuff. Oddly. What's going on with you guys, man? Is it like, hey, I don't want to be grim or dark or even, I don't want to over-gloat on some level, but I mean on on the very basic level i think what's happened here in the world of the united states of america the great country of the united states of america is that we've been given a few days off a dark few days it's a dark reprieve but it's interesting to sort of continue along the lines of um a joke i did on my uh Comedy special in 2017, I think it was, Too Real. Uh, Lynn Shelton directed comedy special. That one and my last one, End Times Fun, which dropped right before the shutdown. Lockdown. But the idea I had in Too Real was that, you know, living in this country during this period with this administration, when you pick up your phone and open your news app, it's like having your abusive stepfather kick open your bedroom door just to say I'm burning the house down then turn around and slam the door behind him and you're sitting there thinking like what 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 should I leave do I have to leave do we what does that mean is it serious continuation of that idea now that the uh bad stepdaddy is perhaps fighting for his life in the hospital we get this strange, dark reprieve of a a lack of daily chaos generated by that guy and his minions. And you really have these, we've had these couple of days to really realize just how assaulting it is and how completely mind-fucking it is. Look, I know there are people out there that like this man. I don't know how you can respect this man, but I, I know that there are people out there that like him because he feeds something in their hearts something terrible but just the lack of daily insanity and chaos being reaped on our minds on our country on our institutions on our hearts has been interesting no time to reflect donald trump is a fallible corrupt corpulent selfish human Who is sick with a disease that doesn't give a fuck who he is. That he literally taunted for months and months. He taunted this disease. His hubris enabled him to believe his own bullshit. He knew. I think a lot of you knew. I think a lot of people who wanted to follow the example or the anger of Trump and and believe that it's nothing. They knew. You all knew. But now I guess in this time of reflection, perhaps you're reflecting on maybe this is a problem. Maybe this is something to be afraid of. Maybe this is a horrendous failure in public safety policy. Maybe I believe the wrong guy. Maybe I believe the wrong thing. Maybe I should have thought about not only myself but other people and their health because I was sloppy and careless and didn't believe enough to even get tested out of respect for the people around me, the people I work with, the people in my family, the people I see at my place of worship or wherever the fuck you go. The fact that this president probably knew before Thursday means that that his narcissism And his hubris enabled him to continue to go out in the world, knowing that he was probably positive, if not definitely. Zero fucks. It's one thing to be above the law or to think you're above the law or to bend the law to your rules. But it's another thing to think you're above death disease, frailty of the human vessel that can affect anybody. To believe that, you deserve in some ways to come spiraling to the ground with the wax holding the feathers and your wings together melting because you dared to get that close to the sun On some level, there's some weird biblical lesson in this. Old style God. Yahweh God. I mean, if if, if there's anything that should be clear, is that the disease doesn't care. And the only way we're going to get back to any sense of functionality is if everyone gets on board and takes the precautions necessary to move forward. To stop being belligerent children and to think that a mask is somehow an impingement on your freedom. No one's telling you you can't do anything. We're just telling you to give a shit about your other, the other people in your life, the older people in this world, the frail people in this world, the people who have uh, pre-existing conditions, the people that have to go to work every day and fucking behave properly so we can fucking get through this. I mean, Jesus, man. What are you fucking for? got my mail and ballot. I'm going to hold off on it. Not because I don't know who I'm going to vote for, but I don't know what's going to happen in the next few days. And it's not so much I I believe in karma or you know, or anything else, but this man who may be fighting for his wife who is the president of the United States elected by a minority of the people in this country is one of the great human monsters. He's one of the preeminent, historically, one of the spectacular monstrosities of individual humanness whose selfishness enabled him to allow 200,000 people to die of a disease he now has. Millions of people to be infected. Seeing no responsibility in himself as the leader of this country to make it a priority to put healthcare policy front and foremost would have been easy. But he doesn't give a fuck. And now he's sick. I bet he gives a fuck now, because uh, he doesn't want to go out like Stanchera, man. He doesn't want to go out like Stanchera. My uh, my hand is doing better. It's still a little sensitive. I've been taking all my antibiotics. Thank you. And uh, it's it's sensitive. No swelling. No skin cellulitis, no panic anymore. And I felt like I was getting through it. I got two more pills to take. And I thought I was getting through it, and I am. But then I get this email from this woman who said, you know, I was on antibiotics for two weeks and I killed all of my gut fauna and then had to uh, be treated for, you know, uncontrollable diarrhea. And I'm like, great. I wonder if that's happening. I'm a pretty conscientious gut gardener. I've got a pretty good gut garden going on because I think about my gut garden and I take care of it. I feed my gut garden uh, sauerkrauts of different kinds. I feed my gut garden coconut yogurt with probiotics in it of a couple different kinds. And then I'll feed my gut garden some prebiotic yams to feed the uh, gut bugs that will you know, flourish in my gut garden. So now I'm a little concerned about my gut garden. And I'm a, a fucking damn good gut gardener, so I'll just keep it up. I'll just keep eating the probiotics. I'm okay for now, but I, I, I see, unfortunately, the prognosis in my mind is now like, hey, I'm not going to lose my thumb from a fucking cat bite and perhaps uh, uncontrollable diarrhea is in my future because my gut garden has died. So I was a little nervous talking to John Cusack because I, I, I he had a a, a bit of a re- reputation for being a little unpredictable, uh, maybe uh, a little tricky. But uh, he was very nice, and I I enjoyed talking to him. And I watched all of his new show Utopia, which is on uh, Amazon uh, Prime. It's a very it's a it's a, it's an exciting comic book nerd show. With it's and it's kind of kind of violent. Uh, it's, it's definitely not Stranger Things. Anyways. This is me talking to John. He was in Chicago. I was in L.A. And uh, all right. Podcasts happen. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm happy to see you. How how are you?
1: I'm good, man.
0: Dude, I'm watching that your this fucking show, Utopia. I watched all of it. Oh, did you? I did. Did You watch
1: um, all eight episodes?
0: I I got seven there's another one or is it is there eight
1: yeah i think there's like the the final how
0: did they not give me that
1: i i think they're saving that that piece for the the end they don't want anyone to see that
0: here's the thing about this it's odd because i watched uh, i i interviewed uh, janelle monet uh for homecoming and your sister plays a, a a sort of morally dubious evil person in that <laughs> And you, in this one, are a completely immoral, de- you know, dubious, evil fucking this. It's interesting. There's a parallel villain thing going on between the Kuzak siblings.
1: Just, we're just uh, trying to portray one of the many great benevolent billionaires that are there for all <laughs> of our common good. They're, looking sure. They're going to solve climate crisis. They're going to solve food the water shortages everything Uh, they're going to take the celebrity space shuttle to mars great everything's going to be fine just keep giving all of our public loot the commonwealth and give it to the benevolent billionaires and their foundations all it will trickle down like gentle rain well all of us will be cleansed in the purifying gentle rain (laughs) yeah of q the tree of entitlement (laughs) yeah <laughs> the, the, the drops will come through the leaves and, and wash over us. Thank
0: God. When is this happening? Is this happening soon?
1: Besides <laughs> <laughs> stop me from this gibberish? <laughs> so I have. I I I, I hadn't re- really been um, a podcast person, and everyone was saying, "Well, oh my God, you're on the you're on your podcast." Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and so I said, "Well, I got to listen to one," and I listened to you and David Letterman. I thought it was terrific.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, a, did, are you guys friends?
1: Well, I've been on a I don't know if I, I would, uh, I don't know if he considered me a friend. I, I, I've i been on a show. Because uh, he used but, to really
0: speak highly of you. There was a period there where he was a sort oh, of, nice do you remember though? But there was a period there where he just kept saying you're the best actor. That, there's no one better than you. It was a while though. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was early on in your career. He just was uh, constantly flattering
1: you. I remember when I was a kid, I was there, and um, I went with Rob Reiner. And um, when I did The Sure Thing, I was in the audience. And I think he had a cold that night. And um, I remember he said something. Uh, the movie was great, especially The Girl. And I remember I was in the audience. I was a kid. I was like, well, David Letterman doesn't like me.
0: Was that the first movie? First time I got a,
1: a yeah a lead role in a movie, yeah.
0: That was a sweet movie, wasn't that? That was like, wasn't that a remake of a Clark Gable movie? Yeah, it happened one night. Yeah, I, I yeah, I kind of remember. But like be, before we go into that, I just want to say here is what happened to me when I was watching Utopia. Was that because of the shit we're going through now, it kind of broke my brain a little. Did you watch it? Do you watch your the final work? did you watch the the series Utopia?
1: i would seen a few of the first couple of episodes, but I haven't seen the last. I'd say from. I May mean, I know what we shot? But right. I haven't seen you know four through nine
0: because there was because of what's going on in the world right now. It's not that it was prescient as much as it like the, the nature of the conspiracy just kind of uh, kind of broke that part of my brain a little bit. So like after I sat through seven episodes of Utopia. I was pretty sure that uh I understood the entire authoritarian momentum that's going on now and how it's all connected and intentional. And I'm not sure I'm wrong, but thanks to your thing, now I'm all fucked up in the head more so than I need to be.
1: That's a that's a kind of a Gillian Flynn uh that's her specialty. Yeah, that's her specialty. <laughs> what what else has she done? Oh, gosh, she's done um uh, Gone Girl and uh, Sharp Objects. Oh, and... right.
0: Yeah. But I, I thought the show was pretty good. It, like it, I thought initially getting into it that it was going to be like Stranger Things, but it's much more violent.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, she she's um, a terrific writer. So you know the the kind of architecture of it is, um, you know when you 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 watch a movie like I've been um, during the pandemic I've been binge watching all these great old Graham Greene movies. And, oh yeah. John Le Carr movies and you're like, all right, it's the spy genre and these are great writers. And, you know, they've introduced a character here in the first act. Yeah. Usually the third act, they're going to become, you know, they're going to come back and, <laughs> yeah. and Gillian, her, the architecture is so sort of sophisticated that you really can't see where the, the trap doors are.
0: Right, right, right. you a really, really interesting writer. So when you took the role, how much had you
1: read? Well, I was, um, it was one of those really nice phone calls you get where somebody says, um, um, hey, we'd love for you to do this. And you're like, oh, wow. And then can we send you the scripts? And I read them, and she sent me all eight, and I read them. And I started reading, and, and uh, I don't know if you're this way, but um, if writing is really good, you, it's not hard to read. You just keep going <laughs> Right. And so read. It. I like. I literally read all of them until three in the morning. And then you know, I was like, of course I'm going to do it. It's great.
0: I think it's a. It was such an a interesting casting choice because you're so capable of being kind of like, um, seemingly benevolent, and, and those kind of villains, you, you know, who are just so sweet. I mean, the, the fucking the thing that that stands out in my mind is where you pull that kid back to smell his head. <laughs> <laughs> And then what happens after? It's just like, it's, it's, those are the worst kind of evil guys, the ones that are so sweet. Yeah, yeah. When you play something like that, what do you do? do you, when you think about it, do you just play it straight? Do you just, I mean, you don't have to put any evil in place. You just follow the words?
1: No, I, I, I contemplate it. You know, I contemplate that stuff for a, for a while because, you know, I just think it's very interesting people's perception of themselves, Yeah. the distance between that and who they actually are or what they actually do. And so that's sort of a theme, you know, that I that I like to play around with, I think, probably. So, I, I mean, I was always fascinated by, um, you know, uh, we're probably the same age-ish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you remember, like, 1978, 1980? Like, that was Reagan era was, like, scary. Right. It was, like, Jerry and Reagan. And- I don't remember being – I was not
0: politically uh, awake, but it, so it didn't hit me the same way, say, W did – so but I, I knew that the people that I liked who were politically awake were upset. But I don't know that I was feeling it in the same way.
1: But yeah. Yeah, well well, well I just thought of it like um, you know, when they said uh the the nuclear launch is ready and then he would make a joke about a nuclear war and right. stuff and the Berlin Wall was still up and and you thought about these people who would go into sort of these rooms and they would stage these mega death war games right, with right. New- Weapons and, and I was always interested. Like, all right, so those guys like think they're good guys, and then they go home to their wife, and then they play with their kids, and then they like you know I don't know they go play cards, right? Go to baseball games, and, but yet they can they
0: they can rationalize mass murder. They can rationalize mass destruction. That is a, yeah. there's no yeah. human engagement with the numbers.
1: Yeah, they just there there there's this kind of a schism between what they what they do what their job is and, and, and their their perception of, of themselves, you know? Right. And probably in, in the 80s, and uh, when I was, was growing up, you know, you'd read Noam Chomsky and you'd read all this stuff and then you'd, you'd listen to The Clash and they'd do a double album on Sandinista and then you'd start to look around. and you. And so I was always interested in American exceptionalism arguments. Sure. And what was behind all that. Um, right. And it's probably just because, you know, following great films and books and plays but
0: how did you but you must because it's weird because i don't think i got really you know active around that stuff or my understanding of it didn't really come into full form until probably much later did you grow up with activism in the house i mean were you educated in that way what were your parents like politically
1: yeah no it was a really weird interesting bit of freak luck on my part which was that my um my father served in World War Two, and he served with Philip Berrigan, one of the Berrigan brothers. He you know, was part of the Cantonsville Nine. Yeah. So he became great friends with the Berrigan brothers and they became like family. So Dan and Phil Berrigan, and these were those, they were the underground radical priests. Right. Who, you know, cover Time Magazine. They had that peace sign, yeah. you know, and they burnt the draft cards and all that. So they were at all of our, you know, christenings, eulogies, wakes. So they were around when I was a kid, and of course, you know, anything your parents like, you say that's bullshit, right? Right. But I, but I remember recognizing something in my parents' eyes that they, their eyes got like uh, bigger and wider, and uh, they became like these higher versions of themselves when the Barrigans were going to come visit. Interesting. But this is a time when they were like. These guys were uh, were on the lam, you know. They were underground for a while, and right. then they would go in and out of jail. So, but I knew that as I as I was a child and a teenager, I could see that my parents' eyes, like, had, were um, elevating to a place where you could see that there was some something higher than themselves that they were huh. um, into engaging with and, when those guys uh, came around. Yeah, and so I think that kind of. Uh, I didn't realize later but that and then of course like all the great films and books and poetry and music that we all love of course
0: know. of course but like those guys coming around and your parents being uh kind of uh uh hosting them I mean were there conversations going on did were there you know, and so and how wait like you how many kids in your family there was uh five of us and you're the middle uh, yeah how about you where are you two? got one little brother a couple years younger
1: oh yeah i was fourth out of five.
0: Fourth out of five and this is um uh, was it a catholic thing irish catholic yeah but that's interesting so you know they but they were irish catholic progressives yeah you know that jesuit uh right this the sort of the, you know like honor the real legacy of christ thing service
1: and it was like more like the vatican two thing you know where uh, there was that kind of accidental pope who was into the social justice thing and started the catholic liberation theology uh-huh. thing where you know you, you couldn't just say you were a christian you actually had to help poor people and fight against injustice like you, you know it, it there was um there was a, a movement that uh, was very influential and um you know dorothy day the catholic worker you know, and reaching. this like
0: these were influential people to your folks
1: the, yeah uh, the barragans came out of that movement right folks movement it was like the civil rights oh wow social justice intellectual so i was sort of lucky enough to be born into a family where that shit was there
0: where where, where uh service was important good deeds yeah or you know. or
1: you know or or the you know the truth faith without works is dead yeah friend of bill yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: definitely a friend to Bill, but that's what that is, right? Yeah, I mean, and and, and so when, what did your dad do? Uh, you know, for for life, like what did you, you know, what did you grow up looking up to in your father? Like, what was he was in?
1: Was he in show business? No, he was. Um, uh, he, he was a terrific guy. He passed away um, about eighteen years ago. Um, he had pancreatic cancer, but, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Ooh. But the only thing about it's good is that you get, uh, you just definitely get to say goodbye. Cause I thought well, it would be a different thing if, you know, if somebody just had a heart attack or got hit by a bus, you know, right. the only thing with cancer is you definitely get to go through your grief right. stages and, and say goodbye. Right. Um, but, um, he went to world war two, came out of the GI bill, uh, went to Holy Cross, and then came out and debt-free and could put money in the bank, and he would earn 7%. And uh,
0: What did he do, you do for a houses? job?
1: He, he worked in advertising, like that Mad Men oh, yeah. era. He right. hated it, um, but that's what he did to sort of take care of his family. And then later on in his life, he started a, a documentary film company um, and would make commercials like for Santa Fe Railroad and stuff. And huh a bit of a filmmaker and then uh wrote plays and acted moonlighted as an actor he did uh, yeah yeah he did, did a bunch of stuff some plays and and worked in films a little bit and um and i was lucky enough to and he wrote a screenplay that i made for hbo called the Jack Bull, which was uh with uh lq jones and john goodman and bob dylan gave us the uh ring them bells for the final song.
0: Oh, i got to watch that. LQ Jones is a trip, man. It's
1: a cool cool western. It's a good western.
0: LQ Jones is like that must have been wild hanging out with that guy.
1: Yeah, man. I was just like, (laughs) I just want to talk about and I know, man. Him and Struther Martin. And LQ of course is, you know, made one of my favorite films ever. Which which one? Boy and His Dog. Oh, yeah.
0: Trippy movie. Way ahead of its time. Classic. And did he direct more, or was that it? I think that was the one he directed, yeah. It's so wild. Yeah, there's that era of guys just who were able to do that. Like, you wouldn't expect that guy would direct that movie. But him and Shruther Martin and the Wild Bunch just running around pulling
1: jewelry off of dead guys. It's great. Yeah, and also the... uh... Yeah, all of Peckinpah's films. You can see him through through
0: all. I'm kind of a Peckinpah freak. Like I, I, kind of put myself through the the paces of like watching all of his movies at different points in my life. I'll just do like a little Peckinpah film festival. Do
1: you know what I just got into uh, recently? Um, which I, I I kind of like more whip myself for like denying myself the pleasure of it for 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 years. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Oh yeah, that's great. I know, but like, what what was what was wrong with me? I mean, for 15 years, I forgot how great a film that was.
0: I don't know. So I think sometimes you know you're not sure where Chris Christopherson fits in in your head. But
1: he's great. Great,
0: he's great, and he's he's also great in uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia as the biker, you know, guy. Like, but right, yeah. But there's just sometimes you just like I don't beat yourself up about it. That's interesting that you you should be excited that you've found it.
1: I, I I sort of refounded, and I thought, God, what was I doing all this time? I mean, it's God. Well, there's a lot and of movies. Bob Dylan as alias.
0: As alias, yeah. Just sitting around. He doesn't say much, but he's there. He doesn't say much. No, nah. no. But the the songs are great, and yeah. And, and the the weird thing about that movie is like, I think Pack, you know, Billy the Kid died when he was like 21, you know, and and by that point, you know, Christopher. It doesn't matter because it's a myth, but it's kind of weird that he's at the age he is. But it's a good movie. I like that it's movie. A, I
1: think it's a really, really cool movie. And It has a, that great, um, that great um, scene with uh, Slim Pickens when he finally gets shot and uh, knocking on heaven's door is playing, and he, he just walks over by the river. And it's, it's what? Well, yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of the most emotional um, Peck and Paul has ever. In, i think in that
0: sure yeah i mean it's one of those ones where he's like you know he's emotional in a weird way the wild bunch is kind of emotional too you know when those guys know that they're done
1: yeah and in a, in a kind of in a rage and
0: yeah kind of we're gonna go this, out like we all you know
1: that one had a, a real sense of kind
0: of loss and, it's heavy boy shit man you know it's real kind of <laughs> it's it's a, some serious exploration of dude stuff but it's great no doubt. Now, when did you start doing? Did you start acting in uh, Chicago in the improv scene or did it? What happened? How did that?
1: Um, when when you, where, you were like, uh, you were doing comedy. New York. In New York. Did you ever do like the uh, improv or in the Second City or any of that stuff here?
0: i never um, like I was never improv driven. I played early on. I played Zanies there. And when I go back to. It's uh, still there. Same sure. Place. Yeah. And I, I the last I taped a special at the Vic a few years ago. And I, I've and I've played at Thalia Hall. Uh, yeah, great right theater. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love Chicago. And I you know I was there not long ago, uh, doing some stuff with Swanberg. I I've grown to really like that city.
1: Yeah, I, I was um, I didn't do it. Uh, I, I sort of started. I, it was a very strange thing because I was fourteen or fifteen, and I'd been doing some theater and stuff, and then. Hollywood wanted to make movies about teenagers and they decided to shoot a couple of them in Chicago and I had had some training. And so it was just kind of like weird freak luck that i had had some training and they decided to make movies about, cause there wasn't a thing. Right. Teenage movie really a thing.
0: Oh, so in, in the eighties in the the sort of John yeah. Hughes thing and the breakfast club and all that shit.
1: There's a movie called class, you know, that was,
0: uh, I think with a, Andrew, Andrew McCarty, McCarthy yeah. and someone didn't he fuck someone's mom or something? Wasn't yeah, J-
1: yeah. fucked Rob mom who was Jacqueline Bissett? Like Jacqueline Bissette and Cliff Robertson was in this, right. and so uh, Louis Carlino, who had done the Great Santini, did it in Chicago, and then you know, like kind of in Vancouver, or Toronto, they cast local actors, and I'd been sort of training and doing some stuff. So um,
0: that's how it started. Like, and where yeah. where were you training? Were you just training in like kids theater or what?
1: yeah that kind
0: of thing yeah and like what about like how do how are all your siblings actors how does that happen like i you know there's there are these dynasties you know they and I, I have this theory about it but how did that come to pass were you all doing it at the same time or did it happen later for Anne and joan how did it work isn't your brother in it too sometimes
1: yeah we've all we've all dabbled in it um um three of us are still that's what we do for a right. living Ian, Joan, and yeah. myself. My, my sister Susie and Billy have done a bunch of theater plays and have done a lot of things. But um, Joni got the first break um, when Tony Bill, who was a producer who produced The Sting, directed a film called My Bodyguard, and he shot it in Chicago. Okay. And that was, um Alec... Um, not 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 alec baldwin um, a different baldwin adam baldwin and yeah chris peace and so Joni got a small part in that and then we were like oh what's it you can be in a movie yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it happened the same way for
0: both of you they just happened to be shooting in chicago and you guys had some kid chops
1: you could get a little kid chops yeah so you know it was kind of like local uh, casting a lot of luck.
0: So did you do it? You didn't have any training other than that as a kid? Did you just kind of grow into it or did you study with people? What happened?
1: Yeah, no, I studied with um, a group in Chicago and, um, you know, but then I was also, but, but by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was doing, I I was on, I was learning on movie sets. So I I, I really started, um, I had done stuff earlier as well. Um, you know, that kind of terrible stuff where you, you know, your mom takes you to know, auditions as a kid, and you right. try to, you know, because I I always loved the theater and yeah. movies. Yeah, I, I loved going to the old art house cinemas in the
0: you
1: know, yeah. and seeing like you know you'd see the Kurosawa movies. Yeah, there'd be seven of them for a week, and then you'd see the yeah French Wave, or you'd see the you know film noir double stuff. features. So I, yeah, so I really loved. If I wasn't going to a White Sox or a Cubs game, I, I loved going to those great old theaters and like watching these old movies yeah, i did too uh, into it and um and then yeah then they started making movies in chicago and there was there was this audition thing what do you do you go in there and you try to you know you know try to get a part
0: who are your guys who do you like watching the most in terms of um when i was a when i was a kid or, or yeah i mean what but, was it like because it seems like as an actor people are sort of like that guy knows how to do it i want to who are you, who are your faves or who, uh, Do you do you consider... In terms of the, the acting yeah. guys?
1: Yeah, but as a comedian, actor, or... Uh,
0: oh, yeah, no, I have them. I definitely have different heroes for different reasons. You know, I think, uh, you, know, you know, Richard Pryor brought a lot of heart to the game in a way that no one had. So, like, you know, there's a certain vulnerability and a sensitivity to the type of comedy I like that you don't see that often. And I think him and his more honest moments was really something. In terms of acting, I, it seems to... It sort of shifts a lot because when I started acting myself a bit more, I, I, I started to try to see, you know, what people were doing more and how, you know, like, is there a craft to it? Is it how much of it is just a natural talent? You know, the, yeah, it seems like a lot of it, uh, about 80 percent of it or more is is you either you know, have the talent for it or you don't. And then if you do, you you polish it up however you're going to polish it up and get something into place for yourself
1: yeah i remember that richard Pryor. um I, yeah i remember that richard Pryor bit where he was doing some something on a, either johnny carson show or or one of his stand-up specials yeah but then he he played a junkie yeah and then it ended with i wish you the best yeah and i remember like just being heartbroken he just he, you know at the end he just sort of looked at whoever he was talking yeah. to the audience and said, i wish you the best right the heart right and, oh my god amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it was really something, man. When people really lock into it, but like when you do the work, do you do you like, like what was I thinking about, man? Like like you said, for this this most recent role, you think about how people see themselves and who they are in reality. But like early on, I mean, you seem to like have. Do do you have some sort of process that you do? Because I talk to people mostly to help myself. You know, in terms of how you you approach a role on any given time. Do you read the thing over and over again? Do you you know if it's not like you, you know what is it? How do you do it?
1: Kind of depends. You know, if if you're doing something that um I don't know doesn't have you know if it's kind of a straight genre, but there's you you know you you don't try to turn. I don't know postcard into on the waterfront, you know, right? But if you get if you get something with some depth, right? Then yeah, then I think you just sort of um, really immerse myself in the world of it to the point. Of, I don't know the difference between my thoughts, my dreams, and. The character, you know. Yeah,
0: and you do that through like reading or through like you know just thinking about the guy or you know or
1: yeah or or uh, even dreaming stuff like you know I'll you know you you know you sort of I'll, I'll write myself a letter and say tell me about tell me what I need to know and I'll date it yeah and, and it's weird the subconscious if you ask it a question it'll give you an answer really I I, I found, I found it for me yeah you know or maybe I'm just a weirdo no no, I am no. definitely but. So you do that, and then you sort of try to dream it. And then, like, uh, I got—I was really fortunate enough to play Brian Wilson, which was a—I saw that. Yeah, and I, I
0: thought th- I thought that was an interesting movie because there was two, there was a couple of Brian Wilsons, right? Were there two or three? It was yeah. you and Paul Dano.
1: Yeah, me and Paul Dano. Yeah, and Brian was still alive, but so for that one, I got to just—I would just immerse myself in in his music. Like, so literally I would just live in his music.
0: How was that for you, man? Because like I talked, I talked about that. I was talking about that the other day. I can't, I have a hard time listening to his music because I can hear the, the, the struggle and the sadness in his heart. I said the other day, I said, it was like listening to sadness filtered through cotton candy, but it has a, you know, it, it has an effect on me that it's too heavy for me sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's a, strange constellation of attributes. And, yeah. You know, but, you know, because he's really a tough guy, in a, in a lot of ways, you know, to survive what he survived. But he's also like this just, you know, it's like he's like a heart with two legs he's just, and his antennas just, right. just tend to just out into the ether. I mean, the guy's, a. he's kind of a, he's a wizard. Yeah, you know, no, so yeah. Oh, for sure. Real, but what was interesting for me in, the, in that one was, the Smile Sessions box set oh, okay. from 1966, which was, it's kind of, you know, you can listen to it. It's four albums and, and the demos and the outtakes, and you can hear him constructing the music. Yeah. And this is, you know, pre-computer where if you needed four oboes, you had to have four oboes and you can, <laughs> he can say, okay, let, let's have the third oboe yeah. and he dropped the mic and he's doing it all with one ear. And he's constructing like symphonies in pieces wow. and no one knows exactly what he's doing, but he has it in his head. Yeah, And you also hear him interacting with all of the, uh, all of the people in his life. So it was almost as if there was a tape on Brian's psyche. And that was the kind of, um, he had done pet sounds and then he'd done smile the smile sessions. And he was kind of, you know, he was a sort of a one-man beatles right Right. he was in an arms race with the beatles to try to figure it out out genius each other yeah and paul mccartney came and heard smile sessions and he actually was chewed the carrots on the song vegetables he did and then he went back to england and said scrap everything
0: yeah we've got to steal this guy's sound
1: well well, you know i don't know it just he just his mind. his mind was blown right, as well right right yeah, right the came out and when he had done smile the beach boys were on the road and, and they were doing their thing and they came back and they listened to this remarkable groundbreaking music and they were like dude where are the hits where's the fucking surf music right of course i was just like i'm going to bed right for three I'm going to bed for three years. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so, so anyway, that, that was the, the, the the peak of him. And then, and so I used that as the way into the abyss and then also, um, coming out of it because then finally, when he reclaimed his life, he was able to play heroes and villains. Right. And perform it. So, so, you know, there's different things, but I, I, I try to immerse myself in the world. Well, it's
0: okay. nice when the world is still alive and you have access to them.
1: Yeah, so if you're, if you're playing somebody who's alive you know, or somebody who existed, then you can, you know, read read about them. Then I give you a dumb actor sounding. Um, what? Uh, uh, you know, was that like an actor studio? No, 101? no, no,
0: no, it, no. I just like I'm just curious about how people about how people handle it because like it seems to me that. Like I can see you in in your roles, you know, but like, you know, there's a varying degree of, you know, what you turn on and what you turn off and how you sort of, you know, the different switches you have in yourself is going to be how you're going to approach it. And it just seems that people have a different there's no single method or or everyone figures out their own fucking tools. You know, I was just curious about it, but like even like because it it seems like as you got older, you evolved a sort of a harder edge, I I guess in, in gross point blank there was there's and the grifters and stuff it was getting a little uh darker but like you know there was early on it seemed like you were uh, uh all all heart all vulnerability some struggle but then you started to challenge yourself with things that were you know these are characters were were complicated and Sometimes slightly dubious characters and that seemed to happen as you got older. Like you challenge yourself. It seems like you were pushing against the idea of being cute your whole life.
1: Yeah. Well, I think maybe the, there's a piece of that too. When you know, if you're nobody should be really. I don't know. If you're an actor when you're a kid, it's a weird thing. It's not. It's not right. It's hard to survive, right? Hard to survive. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like a totally a child actor. I was more of a teen, teenager. So I was. I still sort of you know looked like a right. 16, 17 years old. Yeah. But, um, so then I think yeah, yeah. Then people want you to just sort of be kind of witty or cute or whatever they yeah, want. Yeah. But
0: then you got if you're not careful, then you just kind of do that. You just witty and cute yourself out of the business because you hit a certain age where they only see you as one thing, and and that's over.
1: So you, yeah, I never, I, I never had that sort of worry because I, I never. I was always trying to. You know it's like you as, as a comedian you're you're thinking about like Richard Pryor, right sure, yeah, so same here, I was thinking about like well, I don't like, I want to do something great, like how do you do something great? How do you do something great, yeah, I, I know it's not like you know being real satisfied with yourself and, you know, that's for sure.
0: I talked to crude up, but was there uh, about this sort of thing? Was there a point where you're like the, the real answer to that is to challenging yourself and possibly doing something great is to do these character driven parts and not try to be like, you you know, some sort of um, leading man all the time.
1: Yeah. Um, Or you try to subvert that. Right. I sort of had a, that, that was a, thing i tried to do which was be sort of like make a subversive commercial movie where you sort of it looks like right yeah and all the things there that look like this but there's you know then you're sneaking ideas into it
0: like what which one was that would that be like the grifters or something
1: well, i don't like Gross point blank you know oh, yeah, you yeah, could yeah, see yeah, yeah. Okay, this guy comes back and he's going to his you know high school reunion yeah. and yeah you know kind of funny but it's like you know underneath it there's some weird fucked up
0: yeah takes to some serious it. fucked up shit. Some
1: Yeah. But
0: like, you know, working with like somebody like, uh, like John sales, right. Eight it's men it's out was, one. which is great. And you're great in it. And, and was a great bunch of, uh, actors and stuff like the difference in, I guess, in some of the directors you've worked with. I mean, you, you know, he brings a lot to it. He's got a lot of conscience. And what, what do you learn from a guy like that over the course of like kind of educating yourself around how this is done? What would you get? What'd you bring out of that
1: experience? Man, you just soak up everything you can. I mean, I'd seen Brother from Another Planet. I mean, that was also like nowadays they say there's independent uh, films, but they're they're just basically like a branch of the same studio, right? The same corporation right. that yeah, we're gonna you're gonna do art films and do it for no money, and then everybody's gonna try to kill each other to get a Golden Globe. But back then, they were actually with independent films. So I'd seen Matewan, Brothers from Another Planet, and uh, uh, I thought Matewan was an extraordinary, extraordinary film. But Sale said he he learned everything he needed to know about writing from watching Roberto Clemente play baseball. It was a uh, uh, power, efficiency, and grace. Huh. Also, you know, with the, the these great DPS that would be around, you know, like you, you could work with, uh, you know, on, on John's. Uh, on May 1, he was working with Haskell Wexler. Oh, yeah, passed away. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, great guys. amen met We, it was Bob Richardson, who turned out, you know, he was another great, great cinematographer. Or, we got a, I had a chance to work with uh, Laszlo Kovacs.
0: Oh, yeah, Uriens. Those are really the guys, right? They make the difference. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That was a, it was a whole different thing. Yeah.
0: You know. What? Uh, so, are you're in Chicago now? Yeah. And you like you you just you you never lived out here?
1: No, I have. I, I've lived out. I lived in California and sort of New York, and uh, had a place in California and an office in Venice, California. Uh, but about four or five four or five years ago, I, I got out of there. And where? And you lived in New York. When did you live in New York? Late eighties, uh, early nineties. I had a place there.
0: Did you? Why didn't? Why didn't you? You just keep going back to Chicago, huh? Yeah. Did shit get out of control in New York? When did it happen, man?
1: <laughs> what, what, what? What? Which era are we talking about? <laughs>
0: what was the first wave of insanity?
1: Uh, do you remember JPs on Eighty Eighth Street?
0: No, it's too high. That was too far uptown for me. All right. That was it. Yeah. What was it? Booze.
1: Let's see. Back in the eighties. What wasn't there?
0: Yeah. And now you like uh, you had to you had to reel it in. Yeah. You got some time.
1: Yeah. I know, right? Yeah.
0: You feel better? Oh yeah. (laughs) How you feeling? It's weird, man. Like I I actually had a drinking dream the other night. I'm 21 years in, and uh, yeah. yeah, and I hadn't had one in a long time. It was it was very subtle. It was just sort of like I just decided to do it. And that's exactly how it fucking happens when it happens. Right? So
1: you wake up you wake up in a cold sweat.
0: Yeah, you wake up like, oh, I fucked it. Oh, thank God."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I blew it. Yeah, I started to reel it in around you know, 28, 29, 30 because I was like, "All right, what am I going to do here?" I'm because like, yeah. I was then am I going to be one of these like maintenance junkies and just sort of like you know? Yeah, live it. Is that the road going down or like, what 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 road am I going to go down? Yeah, and, yeah. The crossroads. And, and, yeah, and then the only the only place that was really dangerous for me, uh, I was very lucky. But the only place was dangerous to me was when I went back to Ireland. I was like, ah, this would be a good place to get drunk for a month.
0: You had to hide and drink, <laughs> and and be, and be completely supported in that decision.
1: Well, you could always find you can always find, uh, oh,
0: can always find yeah yeah they, they always they, find
1: friends in those bars right. But you can always find it.
0: Like it's always struck me as weird about that about people about enablers of any kind. Like you know when when you have somebody who's clearly dying and can't control themselves, there's always those dudes who are sort of like need a little more. I got some. Yeah, like who the fuck are those guys? Yeah, where do they come from? Yeah, I want to go to Ireland. Do you have? Did you have? A, you, you spent a lot of time in Ireland. Um, I went back. Um, what do you mean, back? Are you, is your family from there?
1: Yeah, I'm Irish. No, shit. I'm, uh, yeah, both yeah both sides of my family are Irish. So you can I'm, get you I'm, can get citizenship, which I probably should, dude. I depending on, depending on what happens in the next month. No Two shit. Months. Aren't you thinking about <laughs> that shit? Yes. I
0: can't take it, man. I mean, I got and now we're we can barely go anywhere. But you can't. I love Ireland. I'm a a Jew. Are you L.A.? Are you LA, or are you L.A.? I'm in L.A. But I'm like, I don't know what it is with Ireland, man. I'm a Jew and I love Ireland. I just I go there and I'm like, I want to be here. It's all I think about right now, because I don't know how this shit's going to go down, but it's not going to be good no matter how you slice it. And all I'm thinking about right now is like, I kind of want to be out of the country for the I want to vote and then get out for a month. Just because I don't know what the fuck is, I don't know how this is gonna unfold. But then there's another part of me that's sort of like, maybe you should just stay and watch it from here. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm of two minds. You know, that um, you know, the bastards are gonna do what they're gonna do, and we got to do what we got to do, and fuck them. Right. And then you don't want to give them the satisfaction
0: of running away. Yeah. I guess but isn't there part of you like sorry we're roughly the same age. I mean, I've saved a little money. Is there any crime in stopping someplace nice and just riding it out? No. <laughs> Where's that justification? I know I'm not running away. I'm fucking retiring. Go fuck yourself.
1: Yep. Yep. No, but, I'll, but also like I I won't feel like I am um, like I shouldn't have said something. Like I you know, I've been a bit of pain in the ass. And, separate i think all the time so oh oh
0: i'll be yeah. and what and where, where are you where, have you been talking lately
1: yeah i never shut up <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right you've gotten into some trouble here and there so like how how afraid are you on a day-to-day basis around this shit?
1: i mean i'm not afraid for myself um right but uh i don't know um when i saw you know early on I made a movie called um, not that this matters, but um, I made a movie called Max a while ago and it was about Hitler and modern art and aesthetics and uh, you know about how modernism came from like World War I right. and how Hitler sort of stole from the avant-garde left and used, he hated the message of the avant-garde left because it was anti-war coming from World War I, yeah. but he understood that that art was the new, you know, politics was the new art and art and politics were going to be fused. Right. And you see Trump doing this sort of same thing. He's doing this kind of kitsch futurism. He's saying, I'm going to make America great. And we're going to, the future is going to be a return to the past. Now it's a past that never existed. I'm lying. Mm -hmm. Everything I say is a lie, but you know sure
0: and he's also really good at uh, at, at fascist theater he's very good at the that, the signing yeah. ceremony the you know the you, you know the walking you know
1: or you know or the rallies where he you know where he compares immigrants or people of color yeah. or people who are protesting to you know vermin and cockroaches and that's like that's very specific purposeful of course things. yeah of course you know these human beings are pestilence sure. they're subhuman
0: yeah it's
1: terrifying they should be eradicated. so I, I i was never um i guess maybe just loving everybody from Brecht to you know all the writers and comedians yeah. and filmmakers right. and musicians that we all love yeah right right like you don't have you don't have to be a genius to know that this shit is real and the first time he tore a child away from their their mother's arms right put them in a yeah like this wasn't a reality tv show anymore this is like real fascism right and it's on a creep it's a you know it's a frozen frozen explosion you know it's happening slowly right but you know it's like the you know frog in the water you know you just turn the turn water up and the frog doesn't know it's being boiled alive. right that's where we are right now
0: yeah it's terrifying and i i don't know like i want it's sad because of the covid that you know the arts have been sort of kind of neutralized because no one can really do anything you know you would you know it's hard to get things done and to express yourself in, in a bigger sense because we're all kind of frozen in this plague zone like like chicago that like the theater scene i I'm, i've become friends with tracy letts who's a chicago guy for the most part great guy great theater uh, a great actor and a great playwright but, like, did you ever spend any time with, you know, with, uh, down at Steppenwolf at all and hanging out with those guys?
1: Yeah. You know, I used to, um, I worked with John Malkovich a lot. And so I used to go when he would come back and direct a play or something, I would do that. Yeah. And hang out with him. He's, he's really one of my favorite guys to hang out with. He's a trip, right?
0: Yeah. Is he, like, is he, is he always that intense? He's, it's
1: like, he's just really, really, uh, like a wonderful man. You know, and, a, you know, great mixture of things, you know, he can be incredibly sensitive and compassionate and then he can be, you know, he, he, you know, the character he played in true West, yeah. which was,
0: yeah. You know, Lee, he said he was Lee, right. Was, or Austin, which one's Lee, right. Lee's the, del- yeah,
1: he, but you know, which he says was a member of his family. And, and, you know, so he, he has access to those kinds of these different parts of himself that are, that are very, uh, contradict the rage but, river yeah yeah but he, he's such a thoughtful intelligent man you know like he really reads and studies and is a very such a bright person
0: okay so there's another good example so you read this script like for utopia and it's well written now you get this how did the uh, being john malkovich how did that unfold for you i mean did you get that script and where you were like holy shit what is this oh,
1: I, this is going to sound like um I hope I don't sound like an asshole on your podcast because um, I think even talking about yourself uh, is a, a weird thing to do in this climate. It just feels slightly obscene, but...
0: We've talked. It, we've balanced it out with politics. You're okay. Go ahead.
1: I know. I know. Um, but that script was... I, I had an agent in Chicago until I was like 24, 25 and then I went with um, William Morris Agency and when I went there I said, you know, come on, you guys have a vault somewhere, right? You guys have the vault of like the whatever your black book is like the most unproducible scripts. Right. Uh-huh. And I, and they're like, Oh, well no, no. And then I, but I said, I, I know you guys have something like where you have like this little box that has the craziest shit, you know, whatever they call the really, I don't know they call it. Well, I, I was, I was fishing, but I thought they must. Right. Well,
0: why were you do? why were you asking those questions? Cause you wanted to do something new
1: and weird and wild. Why were you? Yeah. Oh. I wanted to find out where like, you know, because anything good, Right. Most things that are good don't really get, can't be comprehended when they first come out. Okay. it's usually only time something is good. Right. Maybe, I mean, it's different like with, uh, you know, with Richard Pryor, he does a set that's filmed.
0: Sure, sure. I get it. I get it. But you were like, where where are the things that you think are unproducible?
1: Yeah. I said, I want the, 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 I want this, the thing that like cannot be made into a film, the most insane thing. And I kept pressing and he goes, well, I mean, you know, well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's beans done that. I'm like, what? And I and so I found out and I found the script and I read it and I said, "Here's the deal. I just want to be first in the door if this ever gets made. And if if that happens, I'll stay with you guys forever. And if not, I'll leave. Because this is fantastic. <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. Because it was the most non-commercial, right. Insane. So at that ever. time, did you think it would ever get made? Well, I thought I was very proud of myself for having found it. So did you, and then, so did that start the ball rolling? Not, not that other people might've known about right. it, but, I, but I, I took my own initiative to find something good. So and, you just attached
0: and, yourself to this script that wasn't even alive, really. No, oh, Charlie, I didn't
1: even Charlie wanted me or knew who I was or anything.
0: So like they that, call him I, and you're like, not going to believe this, but, uh, uh, Kuzak wants to do your movie. And he was, yeah, he's been on
1: it for four years. He's been calling us about it for three years or whatever. And uh, luckily enough, uh, uh, Charlie and uh, Spike thought it was a good idea, so so uh, I came in and did it. But it was pretty great because John Malkovich called me up and he went, um, you know, Johnny, uh, you know, there's this script and it's really good. And, um, you know, and I, like I was already doing the script, film, yeah. right? Like I don't know why John was calling me. He goes and you know it it's about me and you know and you know it, it says i'm an asshole but you know fuck it i am an asshole and you know i just think i go john john stop i'm doing it. it's great <laughs> uh, so and then we started and we started talking about the script the only things we we thought of was in the script his friend at the end was kevin bacon Mm. You know when he calls a celebrity friend, right? And so John and I were talking, and we're thinking, you know what? Like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon of it all, whatever you know. And we said, no, Charlie Sheen is Malkovich's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) He had just given the most incendiary like in the interview, and he was, you know, and it was, uh, and John just couldn't stop laughing at the thought that the Malkovich and being John Malkovich in his time of Buddies with Charlie would call on Charlie. Yeah. Uh, And then, um, so we, uh, we, we pitched that idea to Charlie and and Spike and they, they, they liked it. And I think Kevin Bacon wasn't available or didn't want to do it worked out. And then the only other, the script is so perfect. The only other thing we, we added was I thought, um, I said, Charlie, you know, you don't have this puppeteer. He, he doesn't talk about his work that much. And why? You know, all artists have a justification for Wilder, Why? Why we're failures, right? Sure. I do. So I said, um, I, I want to have this thing where he talks about his work. Um, that you know, it frightens people. It's too much for them. You know, it scares them.
0: And wasn't there you know, another guy too? Wasn't there another guy, another puppeteer? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, you know, that, that his work is. Uh, too, so, so too provocative. A line and, yeah, those two. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: So that was sort of you. Kind of came up with that. You guys thought that through.
1: Yeah, just I ripped with Charlie a little bit. You know, I just thought yeah, it would be good for Craig to sort of give a justification for you know what his work means to him. Did
0: you ever feel like that though yourself? Did you ever feel like a failure?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that um I don't know how you feel about it, but like I'm not one to talk about my past much um because when i do it i don't i find don't sound particularly coherent um but i always feel like i almost did something once that was good you
0: feel that now
1: yeah like i, I, I kind of i remember i almost did that one thing and it was it had a pulse it was pretty good but not quite i almost I almost yeah so so
0: that's so you're driven by that kind of like you know you're never quite as good as you think you should be,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: like I feel like I almost
1: did a couple of things,
0: <laughs> you just so you you like to keep a bat around to beat yourself with occasionally,
1: I, no, I don't know, it's just you know it, it's a strange thing yeah. you know, um what what I, was like the was thing
0: crying. what was the thing that you almost did? What was the closest? Uh, what was the
1: closest you came, John? <laughs> well, I, th- I think like I look at it like you know, if you like baseball, right? Yeah. You know, if you if you're if it's three out of ten, mm. a pulse, sure. You know, yeah, you're you're you. That's you're hitting three hundred. You're good. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and then the rest is just sort of like you. You do you know you're working, but if you're still hitting well, good,
1: you, you may line out. You may strike out. Sure, you know?
0: right here's a question for you uh, paul Shear was talking to uh danny trejo on his uh podcast about con air i guess what a great guy danny Trejo is no i know i i he i worked with him he's uh, do you know that story when i worked with him it was hilarious
1: when you did you what
0: he did an episode involved? of my show of marin on ifc and he played i put pl- he played a newcomer who had just gotten out of prison and i was playing his sponsor it was crazy but he said this I guess uh, Shear was. I'm paraphrasing, and they were asking him about uh, all the all the actors on Con Air and who was the real badasses were. Who were the who were the dudes were the who were the real badasses? And he said, "Man, you don't want to fuck with Kuzak. You're the guy. You're the guy." He identified as the badass. Now, why would Danny Trejo think that about you? Are you? An, did you? Are you a brawler? Are you? What's
1: your trip? No. The thing is, is Danny Trejo um, is very tight with Benny the jet Orquidez. and Benny the jet Orquidez is a one percent of 1% athlete in the world and he's a kind of a martial arts grandmaster and he started a ketocon and he was around you know with the Gracie brothers he was around um, he was training he, he did a uh, Jackie Chan Bruce era. so he was he was that he was that guy in East LA. he's, he's a he's basketball. And um, Blackfoot Native American, but grew up in East LA. Yeah, fighting, family, and he's a martial arts grandmaster. And so when I did uh, say anything, where I played a kickboxer, I tri- we shot in his gym, and then I I studied under him. You know, for thirty years in martial arts, and and thirty in. If you, I don't know if you remember. There's a scene in Rose Point Blank where I, I fight a guy in in the hallway. You know, and then. Mini driver comes by and sees me and I killed him with a pen that the guy had given me. Right. But there's a fight. There's a fight with Benny or and that uh, that's Benny the jet. And he was a kickboxing champion 68. No, and he had fought all around the world. Um, uh, He'd beaten every Chinese, every Thai, every Japanese people. They started schools. They built schools to just create a champion to beat, Benny, Right. he also did a film, he did a bunch of early films with Jackie Chan, one's called uh, Meals on Wheels, and another one where it was the first time that the two actors would do the stunts and the fights were like Buster Keaton stuff, really inventive, really comical, but like really violent. And the kicks were the kicks, the headshots were the headshots and they were fighting. So um, I sort of emulated that in the gross point point with Benny so um i think danny knew that i, I was uh training with benny and he I, he'd seen me train and he'd seen me spar and i used to go to smokers and do stuff like that um, but the good to, just to show you that i'm not a complete asshole when we shot the scene in gross point blank right the our other producer said well we're going to need two or three days to shoot this i said no no we'll do three cameras no stun men don't, don't worry it will be fine because i'd spark thousands of rounds with benny yeah and i had to they had my i was in a suit right the only reason we had to stop was because i was drenched with sweat and they had to like re-blow dry my hair and then put me in a new suit because i was drenched to the bone at the end of the day benny had one trickle of sweat coming down <laughs> here yeah <laughs> and then, you know i would train with him and um somewhere around con air time it was like that was his i was a as good a weight as I could be at, I was ready to fight. All that stuff, 195 pounds, and I'd spar with Benny. And but the Benny, at first, when you first start sparring with him, he doesn't wear—he's wearing gloves, but you can't touch him. And then for after a few years, if you get him to wear a mouth guard, that means you've, you've gotten to another level. <laughs> and then a few years later, you know, I finally got him to wear headgear. And I remember we'd sparred thousands of rounds, and he kicked the shit out of me forever. But um, at one point, I slipped, and I hit him with the best right hand I can hit him with, like Joe Frazier's left hook that dropped Ali. It was, but that was the best I had. It was the perfect punch. And I remember hitting him, and he just looked at me and he smiled, and his eyes got wide. It was like that was great. I could, have, I felt that all the way down. And I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's going to love him." I felt it all the way down. He, he was so pri- he was so happy for me. I've, he's been a very special person in my life. I trained with him for for three Is he years. Around so still, I think, yeah, 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 He's in L.A. I'm just not I, I'm not in L.A. But uh, I had an opportunity to take him. I did this. I got a phone call to go do this Jackie Chan movie. Um, where they say, "Do you want to go do a, a martial arts movie?" in in china with jackie chan in the gobi desert i was like what kind of like lunatic adventurer would pass that up right of course yeah i'm gonna go do that and so i brought benny out and we choreographed the scenes with jackie so it was kind of full circle oh that's nice jackie, jackie had started out with benny yeah i did my fight in gross boy blank to honor jackie and benny and then we did another fight you know five years ago oh that's with great. them so that's great so so i think Danny might have been referring to 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 that. Yeah,
0: part. yeah. Oh, okay. That makes we both, sense. We both dipped into. Do you still? Uh, do you keep in shape?
1: Yeah. Although I don't spar as much because it hurts.
0: Right. Yeah. We get old, and like, do you do? De- How often do you take jobs that are just sort of like, fuck it? I want to go to that place and hang out. How often do you do? Is that a reason?
1: Um. Some, you know, sometimes you, if you take whatever jobs you can get. If you can get a great job, you take it. At, right. And then sometimes you take a job for money. And right. Then you use that money to go do something else. But you keep the, working. The, keep working. But also, but the, the Jackie, there's not that many. But if, if there's some, you know, if it's such a crazy adventure like that, you just have to do it. Sure, man.
0: And, you know, and you're working with, uh, you know, guys you respect and guys you have a good time with. And that's like, what's better than that?
1: Yeah. And also over in China, Jackie Chan's kind of like uh he's crossed between like elvis charlie chaplin and you know um i don't know evil knievel yeah or something yeah same
0: same with trejo in my old neighborhood in highland park we were driving around shooting in highland park and there were people coming kids coming
1: to the windows going machete machete uh, it's crazy man danny's literally one of the sweetest warmest human beings that, that that has ever ever been around
0: for sure solid guy too you know like a yeah, real uh recovery wizard you know decent human being shows up for people you know i i liked working with him i i wish i'd spent more time with him i should i've never really interviewed him because i think he's one of those guys where as much as i like him like he tells his story probably every week at the secret society right so like it's a polished kind of process and i i, I wouldn't mind doing maybe i will maybe i will but uh but it was good talking to you man yeah,
1: you too, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having
0: me. What have you been uh, doing with your time during this fucking quarantine business? Playing the guitar?
1: Uh, playing the guitar. I've, I've been reading a lot, but I also just like I've been watching a lot of uh, old movies. Catching up. Watching, yeah, like uh, I was. I went a, a deep dive on a uh, Graham Greene. Yeah,
0: movies. what what was that about? Like why why? Because it's like I'm doing the Criterion Collection and watch. I just watched the Heartbreak Kid again with Grodin the other day, and you know. But, uh i i guess the graham green did, graham green do did he do did he write the third man or he didn't no was
1: yeah no no i think he i think it was yeah it was, uh, i think he wrote um, that directed right. i think he was a story or for but I, I, yeah i, I think it's just it was just interesting because it's like uh every character starts out already totally exhausted they totally know the score and they totally know that both communism and capitalism have betrayed everything that they set out to do and that it's a complete disaster and they're just trying to survive. And so you're I preparing. Just, no, okay. no, I just, yeah, I guess <laughs> so. I just thought it's interesting, like even in the seventies and eighties, uh, that that was there. And now, you know, we, we live in a climate where the Democrats, um, and the Republicans that are basically a death cult at this point, um, literally are, they pretend like they haven't seen those Ken Burns documentaries. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, like like all the mainstream guys are on that. Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, right? The FDR, the New Deal stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that Ken Burns documentary, you can't pretend like you haven't seen that. Right, <laughs> right. Like you gotta get people health care. Right. You gotta get people a wage. Yep. You know, anyway, I just, I,
0: What's that, I find it. What different. was your favorite one so far, the movie?
1: I watched this cool Richard Burton one called "Coming in from the Cold." That was good. I thought so. I gotta watch
0: some of those. I don't. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of British stuff. I I watched. Uh, I just watched that Bob Hoskins movie, "The uh, Long Good Friday," that that modern gangster pick. Because mm. yeah. I interviewed Helen Mirren, and I was just like, I'd watch that when I saw it at one of those theaters we were talking about. At when yeah. I was in high school, it it premiered in one of the art theaters.
1: Like the Waverly Place or like
0: yeah, it was to- called Don Poncho's. It was in Albuquerque, on, right across from the university. And we went to see Long Good Friday, and I remember it just blew my fucking.
1: And it was, mind. Big, was it one of those big halls, and the ceiling had like little stars no, in it. A little like, one. It
0: was, like- it was a little double feature revival theater across from the university. It's a laundromat now, but it was great. It was great to rewatch it. So I'm gonna check out some of that Graham green stuff. But I'm glad you're holding up, and I and I enjoyed the show, and, and it was great talking to you, man. All right, brother. All right, take it easy, pal. Bye-bye. That was me and John Cusack. And now I will play music for you.